to the, uh, the book of Genesis, chapter 39. The very beginning of the Bible, in fact, it's called the book of beginnings, Genesis, chapter 39. It'll be a few minutes before we read there. Um, his name, his name was Joseph. He lived nearly 2,000 years before Christ. And Joseph was a dreamer. That's the thing that we remember about Joseph, among other things, but Joseph was a dreamer. God had given him dreams of things that he would be and things that he would do. Interestingly enough, the Bible does not say when he had the dreams. We don't know if it was a nighttime dream, if it was a daytime dream. We don't know if it was in great clarity, and we do know that it was limited in its details, but God gave him a dream, a a brief glimpse into the future of what he would do or what others would do and what he would be. God gave him this dream. And and here's the thing, throughout this series of several weeks here, I've wanted to communicate to you is that God still gives dreams to people today. He gives dreams to people today. In fact, he gives people, more people dreams today than he did then. You can read through the the Old Testament, and there are relatively few people to whom God gave dreams and visions. There are few people that God moved upon them in such a way, because this is before Jesus' ministry. This is before the arrival of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You, you, You have it limited in the Old Testament, but suddenly in the New Testament, you see this breakthrough and many people having dreams and visions. That's biblical. It was supposed to happen that way. God continues to give dreams to people. Now, let me be very clear on something. When I say dreams, I do not mean something that just you desire to do. You know, a long time ago, I had a dream. I was in college, and I was doing a lot of running, and I had the dream that I would be, I would be in the, uh, the uh, 10K 10, 10, uh, race in the Olympics. I wanted to do that, and for a period of about two years, I wanted to be, I wanted to be the next, and I could never get my time above a certain point. It was just forget it, and now I've pretty much given up on that dream. How many know what I'm talking about? That dream's long since gone. It was something that I had, but it's not something that God put in me. It was just something that I wanted to do. When I say dream this morning, I'm not talking about something that is just something you desire to do, something that you long to do, maybe you've seen someone else do, but rather I'm speaking about that thing that God has planted into your heart, that God has put there. You don't know exactly perhaps even when it came, but you know that God is calling you. That's another word that we would use for it, or an extreme burden to do something. And how, how do you know the difference between one of your dreams and his dream, a God-given dream for you? And it, quite simply, this is one of the, the key ways, and that is if it's about the expansion of his kingdom over the expansion of your desires, then it may, may very well be a God-given dream. You see, the thing is, all of the dreams that God gave people, they were for a reason, for a purpose. And it was to see his kingdom advanced, to see people's lives changed beyond just that one person. God continues to give people dreams today. I remember talking with a man several years ago. He said that, that God spoke to him very clearly that he, that he wanted him to do something. The way that he did this, he, he had grown up, I won't go into the details, he's not from this church, but 
he, he shared how he had grown up in a, in a home that was, well, to put it quite simply, it was kind of a really messed up home. And he didn't know what a, a, normal, a normal functioning home is where, where love was displayed and grace was displayed and compassion and kindness was a, a part of the fabric of the home. He never knew that. He never experienced it growing up. But he came to Christ and he was, he was exposed to a family that, that where all of those things did operate, God's grace, God's presence, prayer, study of the word, um, where, where kindness and compassion were, were very key parts of that home. Wasn't perfect, of course, none are, but he saw these things. And he said, when he saw that, God spoke into his heart that that's what I want for you. Even though he hadn't come from that, he knew that he wanted that, and God put that dream into his heart. That is an example of a God-given dream. And it wasn't just so that he could have a nice home life, but so that the generations that followed him would also be changed. That is a God-given dream. So, so what, what has God spoken to you? What dream has he placed in your heart that, that he desires to do something in you that perhaps he doesn't choose to use someone else in quite that same way? What dream has God given you? God-given dreams. Well, Joseph dreamed that his brothers would bow down to him. He saw this. And, and, and then, he went, then he went and he told his brothers the dream. Probably not a very smart thing to do. The Bible says that his brothers became jealous and that jealousy grew into hatred and great anger, even to the point that, that they initially planned on killing their brother right? Kill, the, kill the, the dreamer, you kill the dream. They initially planned on killing him, but they ended up selling him as a slave. We left off this story of Joseph, the dreamer, last week with slave traders taking Joseph to Egypt. For a moment this morning, I want you to think and imagine that young man, he's about 17 years old, maybe 18 by this point, This young man, perhaps bound, certainly confined, although where are you going to run in the desert? But this young man who, with no desire of his own to do this, this slavery is being forced upon him, and I want you to imagine him on his way to Egypt. He probably was wondering exactly how he got there, What was it that I said or did that provoked such a response from my brothers that initially they wanted to kill me and now they sell me into slavery? What was it that brought me to this point? That may have been going through his mind. Maybe he was wondering, how am I ever going to get out of here? But here's what I'm thinking. He was probably thinking to himself, how does this factor into the fulfillment of the dream? How is this going to happen? In my dream, I saw my brothers and even my parents on the second dream bowing down to me, but now he's heading in the opposite direction from his family. His future is incredibly uncertain. In fact, his very life is uncertain. How does this factor into the dream? Genesis 39, verse 1 reads this way. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought Joseph from the Ishmaelites 
who had taken him there. So he's arrived in Egypt, and he's, he's there in that, that foreign land, foreign to him. He had no power. He's a slave. Slaves have no power, especially brand new slaves who have just been purchased. What a horrible system slavery was, is, always has been. But this man has no power in this strange land. He does not know the language. He does not understand the culture. Everything is new to him. Joseph had no money. He had no connections whatsoever. Back home, back up in Canaan, he had been his father's favorite son. But here in Egypt, Joseph is an absolute nobody. Nobody knows him, and really, quite frankly, no one cares about him. And yet through this painful time, and I I just imagine him on his way there or arriving there or on the auction block as he's being sold off to the highest bidder. I imagine him there and and in that painful time, nevertheless, whether he realized it or not, God was preparing him for something ahead. God was preparing Joseph for something ahead. He couldn't see it. He had a glimpse of it, but he didn't know exactly what was going to happen. But, he had, but God was, through that very painful time, preparing him. Listen to me. God still prepares people in painful times. That was really much of this, the message last week, how God shapes us while we're at the bottom of a hole. But as he's standing on that auction block or as he's uh, the first day in a new responsibility with people telling him, giving him orders, and he doesn't even understand the language, in that very, very painful place, God was shaping him and preparing him. Listen to me. Some of you are going through painful times right now. You're in a painful place, and it's a wonderful day when you realize that God still has purpose in pain. I won't go into the details, but several years ago, some years ago now, I was going through an extremely painful time in my life. It was was stretching beyond anything that I'd ever had up to that point. And I remember in prayer one day, it was just so difficult, and I I wanted to run, I wanted to quit, I wanted to, to go in the opposite direction. I didn't want to do what God was calling me to do. And in that painful place, I remember the Holy Spirit prompted me to write this down, that God's purpose exceeds my pain. That God's purpose, even in this painful time, is what is the most important. God's purpose exceeds my pain. And and I I share that little thing from my life so that you understand that that, that right now you may be in a painful, difficult, arduous time and you're being stretched unlike you've ever been stretched before. But I want you to understand, like Joseph, God has a purpose for you in painful places. He's not done with you. Because you have pain does not mean you're out of God's will. In fact, because you're going through this painful time may mean that you are in the very center of his will right now. The man who bought Joseph was named Potiphar. He was captain of the Egyptian king's bodyguard. But even in this, in this this influential, powerful man being the purchaser of this new slave, even with this, God had a plan. Verse 2 says this, "The, the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. Look at that again. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph and he 
he prospered. There's another word that we have for this that we could use here, and that is this, God's favor was on this man. God's favor was on this man. It says, the Lord was with him. Now, that, that, that favor of God is extremely important. You need to understand what the favor of God is. The favor of God is when you are in right relationship with him and he's in right relationship with you, then, then as you go about, God is observing you, God is directing you, and God is shaping you. That verse 2 is extremely important because here's a man who was in the very center of God's favor. God's favor is very important. So here's this young man, Joseph, age 17. Again, everything is new. When he arrived in Egypt, he really only had three things. Joseph had his life. He could have died, but he had his life. The second thing he had was he still had his dream that God had given him. But the third thing was, if anything, just as important, in some ways even more important, because it meant how his future was going to turn out. He had God's favor. He had life, he had God's dream, and he had God's favor. But that was enough, because here's the thing. God's favor changes everything. That's huge. God's favor changes everything. Some of you, again, are going through a painful time, or you're going through a transition time, or you're experiencing something new. Some of you are, are encountering something that, quite frankly, you never thought that you would ever have to go through. Some of you have had some things taken from you. You've, something has been stripped away, and, and you feel like, man, I'm, I, I have more to do with less ability to do it. It's like I have fewer tools, and here's, that's where Joseph was. Really, all he had was his life, his dream, and God's favor, but that was enough. God's favor changes everything. Some of you have never prayed for God's favor. You understand this is conditional upon you having a relationship with Jesus Christ, but I encourage you this morning to begin praying for God's favor in what you do. The job that you work, the relationships that you have, the, the challenges that you encounter, I want you to be praying for God's favor. I mentioned earlier that I encourage you, if at all possible, to be praying for the Wolfendons, and, and, and we've been doing that in our family, but something that I've prayed, and may, maybe many of you have prayed for years, and that is, God, give me favor with people. I pray that you will do something that I could never do, that no arrangement, that no um, relationship, that no, that no connection, that no in could ever provide me. Here's the thing, folks. God can do more in one moment with his favor than you could do in a lifetime of planning. Let me say that again. Some of you are preparers. Some of you are planners. That's not a bad thing. But you could, you, could do, you could spend one, two, three lifetimes of trying to make everything right, all of the conditions right, but God's favor can change everything in just a moment. Here's this young man who is up on the auction block, and really any, anybody could have bought him. The highest bidder could have bought him. He's, he's kind of an unknown entity. 
It's not like he had served as a slave in three different households and finally one of the most powerful men in the kingdom says, I've heard he's good. No, this guy's a novice. He's a brand new slave. But God's favor was upon him and it was this most powerful man, one of the most powerful men in the kingdom, the captain of the king's, the Pharaoh's bodyguard. It would be like the, 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 the chief of... Of, of special services or, or uh, the, the, the persons who guard the president, secret service who guard the president. This, that's this guy. And God in his planning says, this is where you're going to serve. God's favor changes everything for Joseph and for us. Here, verse 3 gives some of the details of what God's favor did. Uh, when Joseph's master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Everything he owned. Now, there's, there's a lot of things that we don't know about this time. We don't know how long he was there uh, as, a, as a slave. The, 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 the time frame is not given. But we do know this, that while he was serving there in Potiphar's household, we do know that Joseph honored God, he worked hard, he stayed honest, and he grew in responsibility. The longer that he was there, the more things that were given to him. Essentially, he rose to the place of chief of staff of Potiphar's household. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 20, this is a great verse, says this, work hard and become a leader, be lazy and never succeed. Isn't that good? Work hard, that's from the Bible. Work hard and become a leader, be lazy and never succeed. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but you found yourself in less than favorable, and by, that, by favorable I mean our circumstances, than less than favorable or less than desirable circumstances. Don't raise your hands because your employer may be right here, but how many have ever found yourself in a job where, man, you know what, I just don't like this job. Or, or you've been in some kind of a business relationship, maybe a partnership, maybe as an employee, maybe as the boss, I don't know. But you've been there and you just don't really even want to be there. I've been there, probably most of us have. This is, he's still a slave, but even as a slave, he, he understood the importance that for whatever reason, this is where I am. And I'm going to give it, even as a slave, I'm going to give it everything I have. And even though this text from Proverbs was not written until hundreds of years later, it, it, it really speaks of where he was. Work hard and become a leader, and he did. Be lazy and never succeed. Later on, kind of giving it away here, but later on when Joseph was falsely accused, and we'll, 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 we'll see that going forward, when Joseph was later falsely accused within this household, I believe it was his faithfulness and his integrity that factored big into his life being spared. I think one of the reasons why he was imprisoned rather than summarily killed is because his boss said, this is a man, I don't understand, but he's always been honest in everything that he's done. He's always been faithful in everything that he's done and what he's being accused of does not go to character. His character speaks for itself. And I believe, even though it doesn't go into detail, I, someday maybe we'll know the rest of the story, but I believe that one of the reasons why his life was spared is because he was faithful and because he was honest. Wherever he was, even, in a, even as a slave. This is as true today as it was in Joseph's time. 
In any work environment, followers of Jesus Christ should be among the hardest working and the most trustworthy of employees. Doesn't matter who you work for or where you work for, followers of Jesus Christ should be among the most exemplary of employees. In fact, that's not just my opinion, that's actually New Testament. You see it several times there where you see things like in 2 Thessalonians or in Philippians where it says where, where, where you are, you are, what you do as an employee is, an, is a demonstration of your faith in Jesus Christ. It's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing when a follower of Jesus Christ is accused and later found out to be true of stealing something or not being faithful to the job or not being faithful to the employee, employer. Followers of Christ, again, should be among the hardest working and most trustworthy of employees. Well, things were going well for Joseph. Things were going very well for him. He was still a slave, but God was blessing him. And as time progressed, his responsibilities grew. Again, I'm just kind of wondering some things. I'm wondering if Joseph thought to himself, you know, maybe somehow now if my brothers come and visit me, maybe they'll see my, my high place in this very important household and maybe, they'll, maybe that's how it will happen. I don't know. Again, the Bible doesn't say what was going through his mind, but here's this man who is growing in responsibility. But just as God, this is very important, just as God gives dreams, Satan wants to kill dreams. I want you to know that. God gives dreams, but Satan wants to kill dreams. Do you know that Satan wants to kill your dreams? Your God-given dreams. He wants to snuff them out. He wants to squelch them. He wants to modify them. He wants you to walk away from your dreams. God gives dreams to people, but Satan wants to kill your dreams. That's a sad fact, but I want you to get a hold of that today. Her name is never given. We only know her as Potiphar's wife. And while we know almost nothing about her, we do know that this woman was absolutely consumed with lust. I don't know what brought it about. I don't know what, what she'd been viewing or thinking or reading. I don't know anything. We don't know anything about her background. We only know that here's a woman who is absolutely bound with a sin of lust. Genesis 39, verses 6 and 7 Read this way, now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. You know, that's an interesting verse, isn't it? Uh, don't you love the Bible? It's just very, very real. Here's this guy, and he's, he's a good-looking young man. Again, he's 17, 18, maybe he's late teens, maybe by this point early 20s. We don't know exactly his age, but he's a young man. And, and she notices him. Now, here's, here's the thing. I'm, I'm kind of going out on a little bit of a limb here because I don't know for sure, but I don't think that she noticed him because, boy, you know what? He is a hard worker. I don't think that Mrs. Potiphar took notice of, of Joseph because, you know, this guy is just straight up high integrity. The reason that's mentioned there in the end of verse 6 that he was, he was well-built and handsome is because that's what she was drawn to. It was the surface thing. It, was the, it, it, it wasn't anything intellectual. It was something very physical. 
Again, this is a woman who is consumed with lust and she sees this good-looking man and she says, come to bed with me. Now, why did this temptation come to him? I mean, there, there, there could have been others that, that, that came and may have come, but they're not recorded. Why is this one recorded? It doesn't say that one day he noticed some silver coins or gold coins laying there under a piece of papyrus that somebody had forgotten and he pocketed it or he was tempted to pocket it. It wasn't that kind of a temptation. It wasn't that, you know, one day the boss was gone and he just decided to go and lounge in the boss's pool or something like that, take the day off. No, why is this recorded? Why is, why is this temptation, why was this the defining part of his, or, or a defining moment of his character? Why is this one mentioned? Why not another kind? Well, as I mentioned, Joseph is relatively young. He's in his late teens or early 20s. It's been a long time since then, but you know what? I've mentioned before, human nature really doesn't change that much. And Here's a young man who's, all of a sudden, there's some feelings, there's some emotions, there's some hormones that are going through his body that unlike he's ever experienced before. I don't know this for sure, but I understand the nature of temptation, and so do you. I think Mrs. Potiphar looked pretty good. And there was something within him that said, yes, I, I may want that. It was tempting. Now, he didn't give in to it, but it may have been very tempting. He was in his late teens, maybe early 20s. He was lonely. This man's a long way from home, and he's experienced rejection. He's, he's experienced anger and hatred. The people that he may have loved at one time played together as children. They have rejected him, and that's a very painful thing. So we know that he's lonely. He's been forcibly separated from his family. And also, Mrs. Potter, for maybe for the first time in a long time, perhaps the first time in his entire time there in Egypt, somebody, though with improper motives, based on lust, but finally someone was offering him affection and companionship. On a couple of different levels, it must have been very tempting to him. Otherwise, I don't think it would be recorded. Otherwise, I don't think that it would have come to him. I think that the enemy who wanted to destroy the dream perfectly prepared something that would come to him that would be appealing to where he would be tempted. Verse 8 records Joseph's response. He refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, everything he owns. He has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Joseph immediately realized that accepting her invitation would negatively influence a work environment. And we call that the Me Too movement. I mean, here, this is, this is just as, as current as today. He realizes that you know what this is not a smart thing to do in the work environment and that is to sleep with the boss's wife 
He recognizes that and says that. Everything that, that the, the boss has given me, I, I'm responsible for everything except you. But more importantly, he realized that it could damage his relationship with God. That last thing, he says, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And he knew that if that relationship, this relationship here, the vertical relationship, he knew that if that were damaged, the dream would never happen. That's very important. He realized, there's a young man, he's got a lot of things to learn, but he realizes that if I give in to this, the dream will never happen. What God has put on my heart to do, to be, to become, it will never happen if I give in to this. Many years ago, there was a a musical play uh, based on the legend of King Arthur. It's called Camelot. Some of you may remember it. It's a play, it became a movie. In, In that play, the character of King Arthur, reflecting on what had happened in his own family with his wife and one of the knights of the round table, Arthur said this great line, never let your passions destroy your dreams. I remember hearing that line for the first time many years ago. Never let your passions destroy your dreams. It's not scripture, Understand that, but it's a great line. Never let your passions destroy your dreams. God has given you great dreams. God has planted some things into your heart. But let me tell you, a passion can destroy that dream faster than almost anything else. Giving into that passion. Maybe Joseph knew this because as a child, his father, Jacob, perhaps told him the story how Jacob's brother traded something valuable for something so cheap, a bowl of soup. I don't know. But maybe Joseph, just one generation removed from that, thought to to himself, here's a bowl of soup moment, and I dare not trade something so valuable for something so cheap. Never let your passions destroy your dreams. Some of you, again, God has given you a great dream. Don't you trade those dreams for those passions. We live in a culture today, 2018, we live in a culture that increasingly declares that there are few rules, that there are almost no guidelines when it comes to sexuality. We see this all the time. It makes the headlines in one way or another all the time. Things that are common, accepted, and even applauded now weren't even subjects of proper conversation 30, 40, even 20 years ago. We've come to a point in our society, in our history, where almost anything is allowed And and I shudder to think of where it will be 10, 20, 30 years from now if Jesus has not yet returned. Almost no rules. Please understand, and this is so very important, 
Do not forget that God created sex. It is his gift. Somebody say amen. It's true. Thank God for it. Thank God for this wonderful gift that he has given to husbands and to wives. But he did create it for husbands and wives to be displayed and to be demonstrated, to be experienced, to be celebrated within, (coughs) within marriage. But sexual sin, (coughs) Nathan, would you throw me that water? It's right in front of you there. Just throw it up here. Thank you, son. Yeah. I would have caught it. You would have thrown it, right? (coughs) God created sex, and yet sexual sin damages our relationship with Jesus Christ. I know many people will say, it's just our body. You know, they, they talked about this in the first century. They said, really, you know, our, <coughs> our spirit is separated from our body, so our body can do just about anything, and it doesn't affect our spirit. They're, they're not connected, and I tell you, they are connected. And sexual sin can damage or destroy our relationship with Jesus Christ. It damages a relationship with the spouse that God has given us or will give us. (coughs) It damages or destroys friendships, families, health, jobs, finances, and peace of mind. I have very dear friends that I went to college with years ago who have died of AIDS. I have friends who, who cannot have children, who cannot even have sexual relations with their husband or their wife because of a sexually transmitted disease. It destroys so much when we remove it from where God intended it. And here's the thing. Sexual sin can destroy God-given dreams. And to think that you know, you know, that just doesn't relate to us today. It relates every day to us today. Because the opportunities to give in to the temptation are around us all the time. Here's the thing. Had Joseph accepted Mrs. Potiphar's proposition, they would have had sex that day and made some memories. But Joseph would have been snared and it would have happened again and again and again. It would not have been happened only one time. It would have repeated. He would have been bound himself. Eventually their affair would have been discovered and when Potiphar found out, Joseph would be dead within the hour. And if Joseph died, his dream would die. And if his dream died, in time, thousands of people would starve and die themselves because the dream died. See, here's the thing. The enemy will tell you, it's only you. It's only this one occasion. It's only small. It's not a big deal. But I tell you that if you give in to that, when it's given into, then also dreams can be in peril and dreams can die. And it's never going to affect just one or two people. It can affect thousands of people. (coughs) 
Verse 11 says, one day he went into the house to attend to his duties. None of the household servants were inside. She caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Let me tell you, in that moment, Joseph did one of the wisest things that anyone could do in a similar circumstance, and that is he ran. He ran. Nothing too fancy about that. Nothing too, you know, wow, complicated about He just, he ran. He didn't reason with her. He didn't laugh it off. He didn't give in. It says he ran. Again, it's not complicated. He simply puts some distance between himself and sin. He puts some distance between himself and sin. He didn't stay and see how close he could, he could get without giving in. He absolutely ran and he put distance between himself and sin. Several years ago in another message, some of you may remember it, a short, I shared a, a short story that relates to temptation. Even if, you, even if you heard it before, listen to this short story called A Cautionary Tale in Five Brief Chapters. Here it is, shortest five-chapter story you're ever going to hear. Chapter one, a man walks down the street and falls into a hole. Chapter two, the next day he walks down that same street, he sees now the same hole and he falls into it again. Chapter 3, the next day, he walks down that same street, sees that same hole, tries going around it, but he slips and he falls into it. Chapter 4, the next day he walks down that street, sees that hole, runs and tries jumping over it, but falls into it. Chapter 5, the next day he reads chapters 1 through 4, sees a pattern and walks down another street. And sometimes we, we see these patterns and we see them happening and we know that what's in that street and, and, and yet we keep going down that street and I'm saying sometimes we just need to go to another street. If you want to see victory, you can't keep doing the things that keep leading you to failure. Failure has patterns, so does victory. And there's times when we just need to say, you know what, I can't keep doing the things that I've been doing because I'm going to get the same results. I may try harder, but I have to put some distance between me and it. I've had people say to me, you know, whenever I'm with those people, I end up in trouble. Well, then stay away from those people. Get some new friends. They'll destroy you. I've heard people say, you know, I I just keep getting fired. Well, Show up on time, work hard, make yourself indispensable. You'll be the last person they fire. Right? I mean, there's, there's, there's consequences to our actions. I keep watching people, I keep watching bad things. Well, repent. Starts with repentance. Confess it to, to Jesus Christ. Ask him to heal you, forgive you. <clears throat> Ask him to deliver you. And then if need be, get rid of the TV or get rid of the computer. Well, man, that's, that's just so simple. Well, it's not supposed to be complicated. The power of repentance, the power of brokenness before the Lord Jesus Christ, and the power of his deliverance should never be complicated. Do you know that almost every Sunday, we give an opportunity for people to come forward and we pray, and we've prayed for all kinds of disease, and we've seen miracles. We've experienced, well, I've seen miracles happen. Glory to God. We believe that God can heal and deliver in a moment from a physical malady that is by some considered incurable. 
cannot also the same power of God set us free from the bondage of any kind of sin? (coughs) Because if we deny that, then we deny his power. It's the power of God. Listen, there there are some amazing victories ahead of you. There are some amazing victories ahead of you. There are going to be some dreams that are going to be fulfilled unlike you've ever considered them beyond. You've seen the glimpse of it, but it's going to be fulfilled in an incredibly powerful, wonderful way that's going to expand his kingdom. But to get there, you have to go down some different streets. You can't keep falling into that hole, that same hole. Temptation is strong. It really is. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13 tells us that everyone is tempted. But it also says there, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that God provides a way of escape so that we are able to endure it. That when we're faced with temptation, it's not inevitable that we fall into it. He gives us a way out. The power of His Holy Spirit, He helps us. There's a verse that I want you to see. It's from James chapter 4, verse 7. It says this, Submit to God, resist the devil, (coughs) and he will flee from you. It's a powerful text. It's very short. It's very easy to memorize, and I encourage you to do so. Submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The key part, if there is a key part, it's not the fleeing, it's not even the resisting, it's the submitting to God. How many times do people continue to give in because they keep trying to fight Satan? Well, you know what, you're gonna, you fight against Satan himself, you're going to lose every time. But if you are submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ, if it's his power in you, and if you have, if you have given yourself to his power, that then when you resist, then the devil flees. And let me tell you something, devil's not afraid of you, he's afraid of Jesus in you. Submit to God. How many people, they they want it their way, but they've never really submitted themselves to God. Just want to do it my way. Submit to God. Then resist the devil and he will flee from you. Tempting times when we run to Jesus. Then it's Satan who flees. Not just Joseph. It's Satan who flees. Jesus in you. Now let me warn you, running away from sexual sin in any form will cost you. I tell you right up front, running away from sexual sin, saying no to sexual sin in any kind of form will cost you greatly at times. Some people will laugh at you. They will call you strange, outdated, narrow-minded, inexperienced, inadequate, or repressed. They will accuse you of horrible things. They will accuse you of hatred and bigotry. They may isolate you and they may unfriend you. But let me tell you something. You may face that from some people, but when you say no to the the temptation of sexual sin from the enemy, you will also be free. 
And you can deal with all the stuff that people will say against you if you know that you stand clean before God and before others only because of him and his righteousness. Now there's more to this story and we don't have time to go into it today. We're going to finish up this season of Joseph's life next week, Lord willing, and we're going to see the beginning of another part of his life or a significant part of his life. But let me just give you a little bit of heads up. At the end of this story, at the end of this part of Joseph's story, Joseph, you may know the story, but Joseph, excuse me, will be in a prison made of brick and mortar. But he would still be holding on to his God-given dream. He would be physically confined in a prison. But in his heart and in his mind, he's going to be a free man and he's still going to be holding on to the promise of God. But also at the end of this part of the story, there's going to be a woman named Mrs. Potiphar who's free to go about that grand mansion, who's free to say and do, it seems, almost anything, but in her heart and her mind, she was in absolute imprisonment. In this world and in this time where there seems to be so much spiritual bondage because of sexual sin, and as a pastor, I, I've met with and continue to and love to see victories, but I've seen, I've seen so much destruction, but I've also seen great victory in people's lives. This morning, we're a little bit over time, but you know what, that's just all right. Because this is too important to, to too much a part of our world right now and always will be to ignore. We're going to close with prayer, but we're going to pray it in song. I'm going to ask our musicians if they'll step forward. We sang a song earlier whose words very much resonate with this. And the words are, the song title rather is, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. We're going to sing this song, but more than that, I want us to pray this. See, here's the thing. I have a bit of a dilemma. It would be one thing to open up these altars and say, all right, if you have any degree of entrapment in, you're trapped in any kind of sexual sin, any kind, homosexuality, adultery, fornication, that's simply a fancy word for sex before marriage, pornography, any kind of sexual sin. Would, I, I could say, all right, let's open up these altars and everybody's going to just like freeze up. I am not going down to that altar. 
And boy, that'd be very difficult. And what I don't want to do is I don't want to, while these altars are always going to be open, I want us, because this is, this is something that so many on a regular basis give in. We're going to be tempted the rest of our lives. I say this because as a 17-year-old young man, Jesus did a delivering work in me. I know what it's like to be bound in lust. I also know that I never want to go back there. But I remember what Jesus did in me. In a time not terribly unlike this. And what God did then in me, what God did in Joseph, what God has done in so many other people's lives, God can do in you. He desires to do in you. So I'd like, if possible, everyone here to stand. Everyone. If you can stand, go ahead and work, but we're not done yet. We're going to sing this song. But I want us to do more than sing it. I want us to pray it. I want us to think of the words as we're, think of the words as we're singing them and turn it into a prayer. If you don't know the song, don't close your eyes. Read the words, but pray the words. And you praying it, you declaring it with your voice will do far more than me simply praying over you. All right? So we're going to sing this through. And then I'm going to close in prayer. These altars are open. By the way, my office door is open. Any of the pastors here, maybe there's a trusted friend, a godly man or a woman. If, if, if you're a man dealing with don't go to a woman if you're a woman dealing with lust don't go to a man if you're married you go to your spouse and you confess it there and God will do a, begin a healing work in your life but we're available to you but I believe that right now in these few moments that we have left in this service I believe that God desires to do a work in you and in this spirit of repentance before God and brokenness before God let's sing this let's pray this song as we sing it Lord I need you
Jesus, I thank you for this day. And I thank you for this this story of a man a long time ago who relates so much to our day today. Lord, we pray for the person beside us when they are tempted that it will be your strength that will deliver. That as they submit to you and then resist the enemy with you in them that the enemy will flee not because the enemy is afraid of us the enemy is terrified of a life that has been submitted to the power of the Lord Jesus Christ I pray your protection your deliverance, your healing that our righteousness is not in our habits or our good deeds righteousness is because of the blood of Jesus Christ and now Lord as we leave this place as we leave this place Lord I pray that we would go in the power of your Holy Spirit we would go in the authority of your word 
that the things that you've spoken to us today from your word would resonate again and again and again. We pray this and we believe it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Again, these altars are always open. God bless you. Go in the presence and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ.